very much for allowing me to be here with you around the Word of God. It's a great privilege to have met uh, many of you last night. We see some new faces, and we hope we'll have a blessed time around God's Holy Word, which is our guide. Please turn in your copy of God's Word to the first book of the Bible, to Genesis. And our scripture reading is in Genesis 22, familiar narrative to both older ones and also children. It's one of my favorite, favorite um, accounts in the Old Testament, Genesis 22. Our theme today uh, for, for my topic is children and parents in the eyes of God, and we wish to draw uh, a number of important lessons about parenting Children and parents in the eyes of God. Genesis 22, we'll read verses 1 through 19. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abram rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abram said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And Abram took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand, and a knife, and they went both of them together. Isaac spake unto Abram his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood And Abram stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abram lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abram went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abram called the name of that place Jehovah, Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abram out of heaven the second time and said, By myself... Have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, 
that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abram returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abram dwelt at Beersheba. Thus far, God's inspired, holy, and beautiful word. Well, dear friends, this narrative that we have just read together is one of the most familiar and astounding narratives in all of the Bible. And it, of course, centrally deals with the gospel of sovereign grace in which God has found a way to be a God through Jesus Christ as the one sacrifice for sin forever. And Abraham, and together with all the saints of the Old Testament, they could look into that picture of God's provision of his only begotten son, not only for the Jews, but for Gentiles also, for everyone, Jew or Gentile, who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will not perish, but for the sake of Christ have everlasting life. And that is the central message of this glorious passage. And yet alongside of this message, there is also a lot for parents and for children and for the whole covenant community, the whole church of God in every time and every location to learn about parenting and how to do this in light of the very gospel that is at the center of this glorious narrative. Because it's not so that we have a gospel over here that is detached from parenting over here. Parenting ought to take place at the foot of Calvary where both parents And by God's grace, children learn to look outside of themselves to the precious Savior, Jesus Christ, and find their all in Him. And so it should be no wonder that we find in this glorious passage, Abram and Isaac, hand hand in hand, as it were, walking together, and the Lord showing them this great mystery, which they in faith may partake of, namely Christ and him crucified. And so with the Lord's help, we wish to learn a number of lessons, four in particular, from this narrative about parenting. And though parents will especially be addressed in this topic, there are lessons here for children. And we pray that you children, if the Lord gives you to be parents, that you can take these lessons uh, also into parenting in God's time and Way, And the first lesson I want us all to see from this narrative is that Christian parenting requires walking together, the parents leading the way. Christian parents, Christian parenting requires parents and children walking together, parents leading the way in faith. One of the most touching parts of this narrative is this 
scene of Abram and Isaac walking side by side. You hear it repeated as if it were a refrain that the two of them walked together. Look at verse 6. And they went, both of them, together. And then you look at verse 8. And they went, both of them, together. And at the end of the narrative, we read also of them going with the servants, but together. There is this togetherness about this relationship between Abram and Isaac that is a picture of what true parenting involves. Abram is in view here. Sarah is not along. But in parenting, fathers and mothers need to walk together with their children. And this involves three things, practically speaking. First of all, it involves presence. Presence. Closeness. And this is becoming more and more of a challenge in our world in which through the harried and hurried schedule that we are all being coaxed to take on. There's less and less proximity. There's less and less closeness. There's less and less communion between parents and children. So often, you see children left pretty much on their own. My own children had a friend in the neighborhood who um, was not really in a Christian home and is essentially left to himself with a cell phone, even at age eight or nine, to order Jimmy John's for himself when he's hungry and fend for himself. Of course, my children look at that and they think that is wonderful and awesome. Be able to order Jimmy John's with a click of a button and have it delivered to your doorstep. But we invited this this boy into our house a number of times, especially around dinner time. And he would look on, and it was something he had never seen. That a family would sit together any other time besides maybe a holiday, Fourth of July barbecue, or Thanksgiving. They would sit together and eat together around a table, face each other and talk together about the day, and open the Word of God and pray together and beseech God's face together. And this young man started to show up at many a dinner, just intrigued. First, he didn't want to eat with us. He just sat at our island just looking on this scene. Just such a, such a mystery to him. And then eventually he would be included in the reading. But he clearly was fascinated by something that he himself was missing out on. And the point is, in our homes, we need this closeness, this presence. You cannot parent from a distance. Certainly not well. And so we need to be there with our children. The two of them walked together, side by side, shoulder to shoulder. And this involves presence. It involves, secondly, tracking with each other. When you walk together, you basically have to be in step with each other. 
And though, of course, we don't know the exact scene, we don't know if there were moments in which Abram was a little ahead and Isaac trailed behind, we don't know all that. But essentially, they were in lockstep with each other. And isn't that what we need in parenting? Is that parents are in step with their children and children in step with their parents, the parents leading the way. Now, at times, that means that we, we, we go slower in order to allow our children to, to catch up. We break down the, the, the teaching. We, we accommodate to a certain measure the level of our teaching so that we're in step with our children. We, we take the time that is needed to be tracking with our children. And, and, and that requires something. That requires self-denial. But can two walk together except they be agreed? The Bible says no. Parenting involves presence. Parenting involves tracking. And parenting involves, thirdly, leadership. Abraham is leading the way here. It's not Isaac who's having to coax or prod his father. You can see it from the very beginning of the narrative. Abraham rose up early in the morning, and he saddled his ass and took two servants with him, and Isaac, his son, he leads the way. Abram here, even though a very old man, maybe 115 or so, he shows leadership. He shows strength and courage. He, he even at his age, he cleaves the wood. He cuts the wood. And he goes on this three-day journey. And, and he does all that is needed. Fathers, this is a challenge to you and to me to be engaged, to be active, to be leading our families, our wives, our children, in the fear of the Lord. There's much in our world and much in our own heart that militates against taking initiative, taking leadership as men, as called leaders in in home and in society and and in the workplace. But, But may it not be true of us that we are simply content to sit back and let our wives be the leaders, let our wives be the initiators, let our wives do the parenting when God calls, in the first instance, fathers. Train up your children in the fear of the Lord. And this is in no way to to set aside the very valuable and wonderful and necessary help of mothers and of wives. But men, let us be the leaders as God has called us to be. The requirement of parenting involves walking together, parents leading the way in faith. Notice how everything that Abraham does in this section is in faith. What we don't need in our homes is simply some brute domineering or leadership that is not guided by a faith that submits to God. No, it ought to be a leadership in faith. Abram's whole life from, from the call of God on was, was a journey in faith. God said, get up, Abram, and go to the country that I will show you. And here in this passage, the Lord says, go to the place, to the mountain that I will show you. Abraham follows in faith. He doesn't know all the answers ahead of time, but he listens and he obeys. 
Which brings us to our second point, and that is not only the requirement of parenting involves walking together, parents leading the way in faith, but secondly, the challenge of parenting calls for obedience to the Word of God in a resolute way. The challenge of parenting calls for obedience to the Word of God in a resolute way. And for this, we have to go to the first two verses of our passage. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And then the first part of verse 3, And Abram rose up early in the morning. Parenting, make no mistake about it, involves challenges. A lot of times when we are young or we're courting or dating, we're getting ready to be married or we're in the early stage of, of marriage, we, we think about the wonder of parenting and there is a wonder and a beauty and a glory about parenting. But those of you who are parents know that there are challenges in parenting from day one. Now those challenges change. Whether the child is an infant or a toddler or a child in elementary school or secondary school or a young adult and from there on, there are challenges and they may shift and change through the various years. But parenting, as one has said, is not for cowards. It's not for the fearful. It's for those who face those challenges with the word of God and with a readiness and a resoluteness to obey whatever the Lord calls us to do. Now, mind you, this is a very distinct challenge. This is a very unique challenge that uh, certainly not in this particular way any of us needs to face. And none of us will ever be asked to offer up our son for a sacrifice or our daughter for a sacrifice in this particular way. There's something unique here. The Lord wanted to picture something to Abram and to, to Isaac and to all the patriarchs and to all of us. The Lord had special designs in this. And yet, don't mistake this fact. That parenting involves a step-by-step relinquishing of control and giving up your child into the hands of another. May it be the Lord. And that is what Abram is called to do in this particular trial. To give up in obedience to God his son into the hands of God. What a remarkable test this was. I already said that this word tempt really should be rendered as test because the Bible makes clear that God does not tempt his people. James 1 says that God is neither tempted by evil nor doth he tempt any man. He does not lead us into sin. He cannot. God hates sin. 
And yet, can God test? And does God test? Yes, God is testing his people all the time. Thou hast proved us and tested us as silver is tried in the fire. And when he is testing you, dear believer, he's not, he's not putting you to the test in order to make you to fail, but in order to make the gold and the silver that he has put in you, to refine it and to make it to appear more brighter, more bright, to purge, to refine. That is the Lord's design. And it is for our good. And so the Lord here is putting Abram and putting Abram's faith to the test. And and it had this particular challenge to Abraham because Abraham was so old. And the Lord, when he called Abram, he called him to live out of the pure promise of God. He said he will have as many seeds, as much seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And all the while, Abram didn't have a son. And we know the whole history where Abram at some point says, well, we'll let Elimelech be my son. And then that whole arrangement with Hagar, where Abram went astray, and Sarah as well. And that was not God's way. But all the while, the Lord was waiting, the Lord was having Abram wait And testing him to see whether he would live off of the character of God who promises and whose promise is sure and steadfast. God cannot lie. And so year in and year out, Abram and Sarah had to live off of the word of God, even though they didn't see the reality of it. In life, in their experience. But they believed God, and it was reckoned for righteousness. And then finally, one day, to the gladness of Sarah and Abram, Isaac was born. And the Lord's promise, as it were, was held in their very arms. They could look at Isaac, look at his face, and see here is God's promise. In the flesh. God is faithful to his word. But then. That one. Day. The Lord asks his promise back. Or better said. He asks the fulfillment. Of the promise back. Take now thy son. The son of promise. And offer him. As a sacrifice. Upon one of the mountains. That I will show thee of. What a clash of everything imaginable in Abram's mind. He is here being called to give the promise back to God. The fulfillment of it. And to live once again. From the bare word of God. Who cannot lie. What a test. And again, I stress this is a very unique situation. And yet, parenting involves challenges in which we are cast upon God and upon the bare promise of God. Where he says, I will be a God unto you 
and to your seed after you in all generations. It's an everlasting covenant. And there are times in our experience in which we don't see how that is adding up. We don't see it with, with our eyes. But we're called to believe his promise notwithstanding and to plead for the fulfillment of it. Come what may. Giving it all back into the hands of God. Not in a fatalistic way. Because that's not faith. When we, when we simply say what happens will happen. No, but in faith to take God at his word and plead with him for the fulfillment of his promise. This is exactly what Abram did. And we have a little window into how resolute Abram's faith was. We see it already in a measure in how he already the next day rose early in the morning. I'm astounded at that every time I read that. There was no delay. He didn't wait till it was noon. He didn't wait till it was the evening of the next day. He didn't wait a couple of days to get himself and his wife ready for obedience to the Lord's command. He rose early. And he resolutely, determinately obeys the Lord's command. He leads with determination, with resoluteness. And we see that in his steps as he as he goes there to the mountain that the Lord is showing him of. He doesn't at some point sit down, turn back, dilly-dally, make arguments with God, protest against God. No, he obeys step by step the word of God. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, Offered up Isaac. And that window that I referred to just a moment ago is in verse 5 when he speaks to the young men and he says, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And you don't see it there so much in the English, but in the, in the, in the Hebrew it actually it, it says it explicitly. I and the lad will go yonder and worship. We will both worship. And we will come again to you. We. It's plural. And so he is speaking here to these young servants, to these young men, in such a way that expresses the conviction that God has some plan. That he at this present moment does not know the details of. But God who cannot lie will fulfill his promise in some way or other. The author to the Hebrews in Hebrews 11. He says here that Abraham accounting that God was able to raise him up. Even from the dead from whence he received him in a figure. In other words Abraham was so convinced that God keeps his promise. That he tells these young men. That he'll be back together with his son. This is unwavering, God-honoring, steadiness-giving faith, which you and I need in all the challenges of parenting that we may face. Most of you mothers can relate to the first day you 
bring your child to the school bus if, if that's what they do. If it's homeschooling, it'll be a different moment in which you, you see them, you wave them off. I remember taking my son to surgery at an early age, and there he had to go. And you never know what will happen. You pray. You wave goodbye. You're relinquishing something in that moment. Control. Which as a, as a parent you want to have. You give them up. Into the hands. Of God. Obedience to God's word. Is critical. In all the challenges. That parents face. God. What wouldst thou have me to do? And to be resolute in obedience to God's command. And for that, parents, we need to beg God for a moral clarity. Despite all the issues, and all the mist, and all the fog that is around us in our current world. We heard about it last night. and We'll hear more about it today. We need a moral clarity that Abram has here, and that is God cannot lie. I will follow God. I will do what his word says, even if it makes no sense at all. I will not soften the edges of God's word. I will not come up with an alternate plan, even when God's plan and his word seems to not fit, uh, to be too harsh, Whatever it is, we need moral clarity. And fathers and mothers, that starts with us. The Word of God decides what is right and wrong. The Word of God decides how we ought to deal with our, parent, with our children. The Word of God decides how exactly we should parent. Now, this doesn't mean we don't love our children. This doesn't mean we don't show them love. This doesn't mean that we're not kind, caring, and all the rest of it. Because those are also commands of God. And let us obey them as well. It doesn't mean we are a bull in a china shop and that we cause damage and devastation and and we thump on our Bibles and say, this is the way it's going to be. You don't see any of that here in Abram. You see a serene, a resolute, quiet God-depending trust that meets the challenges that he faces here. There is a reality. When I put myself next to Abram and parents here, you may be the same. You put yourself next to Abram. You see how how, how short you fall the calling to which we are called. We come short of the glory of God. We do not have that resoluteness. Sometimes we don't know what to do. Sometimes we're more like some of the other characters in the Bible, like David, with some of his children, including Absalom, which we see a different manner And we see here with Abram. 
But may we, fathers and mothers, may we, looking to the Lord, may we say, search me, O God, and know my heart. And where there are wicked ways, lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, give me an undivided heart to trust thy truth, thy name to fear. The Lord is very clear that the challenges of parenting call for obedience to the word of God with resoluteness. But then thirdly, the opportunity of parenting calls for confession. Experiential and bold confession of God and God's provision. The opportunity of parenting calls for a bold An experiential confession of God's provision. What do I mean by that? Well, come with me to this scene here in verses 6 and following. And Abram took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son and took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abram his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I my son. By the way, just, just on that. Isn't that a wonderful window? My father, here am I, my son. To be there. To be present. To be available. Great need of the hour. Here am I, my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? I've called this the opportunities of parenting. Because here we have this wonderful interchange between Isaac and Abraham. In which Isaac, who's probably 15 at this time or so, 15 to 17 scholars say, um, a young man. Here he asks a very profound question. He's looking around him. He's taking stock of the situation. He, he, he sees it, but it doesn't add up, at least in terms of what he knows. And he feels free enough to ask his father what is going on. And the way he phrases this is a very pointed, in a pointed question, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? The lesson I think that we can take from this in parenting is that we need to be there to answer our children's question as best as we can from out of the word of God. Parenting is one long series of seeking to draw out the questions from our children, especially concerning faith and the great realities of God and eternity and faith and life and my calling and what do I do and what honors God. But, But other But other questions as well. Sometimes two-year-olds have so many questions we tire of them. And, And yet, at a different stage of life, you wished that your children asked some questions. But to draw out those questions and to seek from out of the Word of God to answer those questions. When your five-year-old asks you, Mom, where is heaven? Why can't I see God? Where is Grandpa now that he has died? What will happen if I die? Where will I go? 
these questions are so many opportunities to lead and guide the hearts and the minds of our children. Or harder questions when they are teenagers. why, why Why does God allow suffering in the world? Why does God allow suffering in in my life? Why do things have to go the way they go? So many questions. That can be so many burdens. And and you want in family life to have an openness, as we heard last night, in which you can ask these questions, no matter how difficult. Moral dilemmas, existential questions, real things. One of the things I look back on in my, my own life, my own parents, is that I think I asked a lot of dumb questions, a lot of provocative questions when I was a teenager and a young adult, but my parents were patient in answering them, and if they didn't have answers, they tried to get answers, and and there was never uh, ultimately a bad question, at least in the way that that they, they sought to answer them. That says a lot to a child and to a teenager to be there. Here I am, my son. And what Isaac is facing here in the midst of this is really something that, that would have gripped him at some point or another. He, he is going to be put on this altar. There's going to be a knife stretched out above him. And again, it's a unique situation here. But there's perplexities that our young people are facing or will face and, and that you have to be in on. And you have to provide faithful answers from out of the word of God as much as you are able to do. And sometimes these crises in the lives of our children. They're things that, that you don't wish for. Obviously. You'd love to keep them from them from heartbreak, difficulties, and and, and so much else. And yet, in parenting, to some extent, we've, we've learned that when one or other of these dark clouds comes into their lives or our lives or our situation, that, that we need to see them as opportunities to seek for God's answers and God's light and to look to Him to come riding on this or that cloud and to show his presence, his power, his love, his grace. The clouds you so much dread are filled with blessings often, with mercies that are about to break upon your head. That's a perspective. And the Lord can delay all that. It can be years. It can be decades. Some, as parents, have suffered for decades with wandering, with prodigal, with hard children, hardening themselves further and further. Things that when you look to them and when you look to yourself, you would grow despairing and despondent uh, under. And yet, without being able to answer every minutia, every aspect of all these conundrums and all this, this pain and all this difficulty in life, if in the midst of it we can see through all of this to the Lamb, he 
That's worth a lot. That's worth everything. And Abram, by faith, has a conviction here that he puts to his son in a way that doesn't answer every aspect of his son's question and yet gives enough answer to speak to his son and to speak out of faith. And Isaac seems to content himself with this. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. To be able to point to the Lord Jesus Christ, who in all our afflictions, he was afflicted. He was tempted in every way like unto us. If anyone dealt with dark clouds, if anyone dealt with conundrums, reverently speaking, and confusion and difficulty in a certain sense. Of course, the Holy Son of God. He was, he's not like us. And yet he is like us, tempted, like us in everything, and yet without sin. But to point to him as the one who provides and can provide everything in our needs. That is the opportunity of parenting that we ought to embrace, and we ought to use in order to confess God experientially, boldly, on the basis of his own word. To say to your son or daughter, I don't know what the Lord is doing right now. I don't have a crystal ball, but I have a word which tells me that God who spared not his own son but gave him up for the sin of the world, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things that we might need for life and for godliness through him? God will provide. God will provide. May the Lord give that to us to be able to say, And to believe and to hold on to, even in the midst of all our confusion, difficulty, and darkness. These are opportunities to confess God and to do so resolutely, boldly, and experientially. Abram doesn't give a pat answer here. Abram doesn't just pull out something that he's rehearsed or that someone has fed to him, some line. No, Obviously, in Abram's own experience, this is, this, is, this is the anchor. But without this, he would have no hold fast. He would be simply lost on the waves of a raging sea. But his faith is anchored because he's tethered to the promise of God. God will provide. I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know when. I don't know what it will all look like. But God will provide. It's about the Son. It's about the Savior. It's about Christ. Parents, don't be ashamed to bring Christ into everything. He is the center of the universe. He's the center of his father's love. He is the center of his people. 
He is to be the center of our mind and hearts. The Lord will provide himself a lamb. And then fourthly and lastly and briefly, the promise of parenting lies in submission and wonder at the gospel. The promise of parenting lies in submission and wonder at the gospel. Just picture with me the scene at the very end of our chapter. They come to the top of the mountain. They build an altar. They put the wood in order. Isaac is bound. He lies there on that altar. Abram has the fire. Abram has the knife. And Abram's obedience is so resolute that he holds up that knife. The Bible says, for to slay his son, meaning his very intention is to follow through on the command of God. For to slay his son. And then, out of heaven, there's a voice that calls, not just once, but twice. Abraham, Abraham. Someone has said like this, it's as if the angel's words hold back Abraham's hand. It's not going to happen here. The angel says, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do anything to him. For I know Now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. What must that have been to Isaac? There he's lying. The angel, the angel's voice. The knife can go down. The fire. It's for another. They see a a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. They hadn't seen this ram until, until now. It was there. The provision was there, but they hadn't seen it. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. God reveals it in his time and in his way. And here the Lord reveals it. And Abraham is glad. And Isaac is glad. And together they share in this gladness. What gladness? The gladness Of God's provision in his own way and through his own lamb. And Abram unbinds Isaac. And they take the lamb, the the ram, and it's slain there as an offering in the stead of Isaac. Well, in essence, they both experience the same thing. God's provision, meeting every need, every every circumstance, every demand. But young people, children, think of that for Isaac. One moment there, he's looking, staring death in the face. The next moment, he's standing next to the altar. And a ram is there. And he could say to Abram, instead of me, instead of me. Young people, children, God has provided a lamb 
his own dear son as a sacrifice for sinners like you. You and I, because of our sin, we deserve to die. We deserve to die forevermore. But when at the foot of Calvary I see that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, what a wonder. What an eternal wonder that God has provided himself a lamb. You know, when I think of this this way, then, then I see this. And when God called Abram to sacrifice his son, he was wanting to bring Abram just a little, just a tiny bit into what it means to give up your only son, your only begotten son, which is something that Abram would not truly do. But God did. On Calvary, God spared not his own son but gave him up, not for righteous people, but for sinners like you and like me. That wonder and that submission, that's the response we need to the gospel, whether we're parents or whether we're children, to meet together at the cross and to stand in awe and wonder and submission. We can't be that sacrifice. No matter what we would try, no matter what we would seek to do, there are people who are trying to appease God by their own righteousness, by their own actions, by, by, by sacrificing themselves in this rat race to try to appease God when When there's more than a ram caught in the thicket, there is God's own dear Son who takes the place of sinners. And we stand back. And we wonder. And we submit. And we adore. And that, dear parents, is what we want of our families, don't we? I hope we do. What a wonder, what a blessing it is when your children know the Lord. They love the Lord. When they can share in that wonder and that submission of the gospel that God has found a way. When I thought there was no more hope, God gave his own son for the likes of me. And when your children share in that and they live out of that, what a bond. That's it. That's what we want. And keep that goal in mind and pray for the realization of that. And be faithful. Be resolute. Be bold. Be courageous. Be present in your families until that day that they join in this faith and wonder and submission. Some of you, you're brokenhearted because you don't see that in your children. 
You've prayed for it. And maybe you've witnessed many times. And maybe you even look back on all your failings. All the times you were so unlike Abraham. When you were short. When you were not present. When you gave all the wrong answers and you had all the wrong approaches. My friend, at the foot of the cross, you can lose that burden. You can give it all over to the one who says on the cross, it's for sinners. It's not for good parents. It's not for parents who have done it all right all along. It's for sinners. Dear friends, it's a gracious God who calls us to walk in faith, to look to Christ in faith, to testify of Christ in parenting, and to depend on him for ourselves and for the next generation. The requirement of parenting involves walking together, the parents leading the way in faith. The challenge of parenting calls for obedience to the word Resolutely, The opportunity of parenting calls for bold, experiential confession of God and his provision. And the promise of parenting lies in glad submission and wonder at the gospel of free grace in Jesus Christ. May God give that and receive all the praise. Let's pray. Lord of heaven and of earth, we Pray that thou wouldst apply these words to our hearts, no matter who we are, parents, grandparents, children, or wherever we find ourselves in life. We need this faith. We see here by thy grace in Abram. We pray thee that these people here in this congregation, or visitors, whoever they may be, that they would walk hand in hand with each other, but also with their children. And that we would have that shared conviction that it's all in Christ. And we pray too that the younger generation would come to that experiential submission to the cross of Christ. And find everything there despite the confusion, the darkness, the riddles, the clouds. That Christ might be our light. And that we might rejoice in him. And wait for that day when all the troubles will flee away. We pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake alone. Amen.